0: The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners and friends. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zachary Groff, and I'm the host of the podcast and the Director of Advancement and Missions here at the seminary. And I have with me in the studio Dr. Jonathan Master. Jonathan, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Zach. It's good to be here. Dr. Master is president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, a fact I would assume most of our listeners, if not all of them, would already be well aware of, but he's also an associate editor of the Banner of Truth magazine, host of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals Theology on the Go podcast, and a regular contributor to Reformation 21. He has authored or edited several books, and his most recent title is what we will be discussing today, Growing in Grace, Becoming More Like Jesus published in 2020 by Banner of Truth as part of their Banner Mini-Guide series. Dr. Master, before we get into a discussion about your book in particular, what can you tell us about the Banner Mini-Guide series? What is the aim of this series of books, and who is the intended audience?
1: I think that the origin of this series uh, has to do with discussions about the Puritan paperback series that the Banner of Truth has been publishing for now 60 years and anyone who has seen or held or read one of those puritan paperbacks knows just how valuable they are they're they're easy to to handle they're they're relatively inexpensive they're a great introduction to rich teaching and i think there was an attempt uh, on the part of the Banner of Truth to try to use that same format, which was so successful with the Puritan paperbacks, and and apply that, if you will, to issues related to uh, the Christian faith today. So major themes and issues related to the Christian faith. And so there are a number of these that have already been written, and I think there are more in store. But as I understand it, that's the, um, th- that's the origin of, of these books and of this series. In terms of who they're for, I, I, I really think they're for, for everyone. They're not, they're not advanced and technical, so they're not meant to be scholarly books by any means, but I think for, for Christian folks uh, who, are, who are seeking to understand their Bibles and to live in accordance with what the Scriptures teach, that's, that's really who they're aimed at. It really reminded me and not so much of the Puritan paperbacks
0: off off the top of my head or at first glance. So that's that makes a lot of sense and how you laid out that narrative. But it really reminded me of I guess those those short guides that different publishers have put out over the years, you know, Roland Bainton's little guide on um early Christianity and then his other little guide in medieval church. I think what is that, anchor or something, anchor books? And then the Oxford right. Short Introduction to series, and they have yeah. a whole bunch of different topics, really well-written, tight, concise, not necessarily scholarly, but definitely engaging at an intellectual level and, and does push you.
1: Right. Those Oxford University Press ones were ones that I also heard them refer to when they were, when they were talking about the launch of these books. So that, that may have been in mind as well, but uh, I think you're right. That's a good parallel.
0: Um, should pastors have these books on their radar for their own use, either personally or vocationally? I think so. Uh,
1: I think oftentimes in pastoral ministry we we need to continually stretch ourselves to to say things in concise, precise ways that are under that that are understandable to our listeners. And so even if a pastor might say, well, I I think I've graduated beyond some of this basic teaching, that may or may not be the case, but, you know, we can always improve our presentation of even very basic truths. And the fact of the matter is we all need to be reminded of basic truths. So I would absolutely recommend it to pastors. I've had pastors who have read Uh, at least mine, and have told me that they found it useful. But then I think also it's designed in such a way that you'd want to have it on hand to give it to people in your congregation.
0: And from what I understand, it's laid out each book is laid out in thirteen chapters, which in in, in most of our churches, that would cover a thirteen week Sunday school right. quarter or series or something. So it can be easily adapted yep. to Sunday school or Christian education.
1: No, that's right. And the chapters are short enough that they they sort of contain the material that you'd need for a week weekly Sunday school discussion. and yeah, that was very intentional on the part of the uh, publisher. Uh, For what
0: it's worth, I I was recently ordained and installed at Antioch Presbyterian Church in this past Lord's Day. I was covering Adult Sunday School, and we were um, talking about uh, the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I recommended uh, both your book, Growing in Grace, because it was fresh in my mind, and also um, Mark Jones's book, another Banner of Truth publication, Knowing Christ, specifically in relating it to my sermon where I was speaking about Christ as prophet, and and next time I preach, it'll be Christ as King. And then the next time Christ is priest. And you have a great treatment of that. I think in the second part of this book, you have three chapters on each of those themes. And uh, Mark has a really good chapter on Christ's offices where very succinctly and clearly uh, opens up about those topics. And so I've already recommended it to my people, and I would certainly be interested in using it for Sunday school down the road. Once we get through our current material, um, Relating to that, what other titles are currently in existence in the series, and who has contributed to it? Who are the authors that are, that are part of this
1: effort? So as far as I know, right now there are seven that have been published, and um, I, I'll see if I can remember each of them. Uh, David Campbell has written on sanctification. Uh, Mark Johnson's written on the church. David McWilliams, uh, one of our board members here, on regeneration. Regeneration. Bill Edgar, professor, a longtime professor at Westminster Seminary, has written on the Christian mind. Ian Hamilton, another faculty member and professor here, or, and uh, a board member here, has written on salvation. Derek Thomas has written on the Bible, and then mine, growing in grace. So I, I think that equals seven, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and uh, there may be more on the way. I think there there were more planned. I don't know offhand who the authors are or what the topics are.
0: I think if I'm remembering rightly, this series was launched a number of years ago and it it is it is they're adding at least a couple titles every year to it. And so I hope to see it grow. I think it's a very useful project. It's a good concept. It seems to be really well executed, um, at least from my exposure to your book, to Dr. Hamilton's book on salvation and thumbing through the regeneration book by Dr. McWilliams. Mm-hmm. I, I hope to be able to to do at least an inspectional reading of each of them because, again, uh, material like this that is thoughtful, solidly reformed, and yet accessible can be difficult to find. And when you get those thoughtful members of your churches who aren't going to read Berkhoff or Bavank or Turretin, um, you've got to put something else into their hands that, that is not going to overwhelm them but will push them and feed them um, even outside of pulpit ministry and Sunday school. So I, I think it's a, it's a great... Series um, so far. I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops and expands in the future. Now, talking about your title, it's Growing in Grace, Becoming More Like Jesus, as we've said. What is the focus of the book? I mean, obviously, we have the title, but is the focus growing? Grace? Or Jesus? Something else (laughs) entirely? And and how do you develop this theme um, as you focus
1: on whatever it is you're focusing on? I think of those... Possible options that you mentioned. I'd really want to say all of the above because it really it really does deal with every aspect of those um, of of what the Bible teaches regarding how we grow in grace. And the way I've divided it up is in four parts. So uh, I, the first part is really definitional. Uh, I called it an outline of grace, but really what that is is a, a reminder of what grace. is, is and how significant it is, how integral it is to our understanding of salvation and of the Christian life, and then some examples of growth and grace, patterns of that that we see. In part two, and I think this is really necessary, and it ties in with one of your options. Is it about Jesus? Well, it is about Jesus, because what we find in the New Testament is that oftentimes the Uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, is described in terms of the advent of grace. And so it's appropriate for us to look to Christ when we're seeking to understand even this topic. And so, as you alluded to earlier, uh, I I look at Christ's mediatorial offices of prophet, priest, and king, and how those uh, shape the way we understand our own growth in grace as Christians— then uh moving from that we look at the means of grace. In the Bible uh the Bible speaks of of means that the Lord uses, uh, sacraments that the Lord gives to his church that are uh, a means that God gives for us to grow in grace. And so we look at the church and then we look particularly at the Lord's supper. And then and then the final section is called the life of grace and this deals with specific topics Related to sanctification, what it means to be dead to sin, what it means to be a slave to righteousness, what it means to have our focus fixed somewhere outside of ourselves and and then we had i I thought it was important to talk as well about the importance of suffering in our growth and grace because that does play such a significant role in the new testament's teaching and then and then looking forward at the end to our future glorification when when we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is.
0: A clear and biblical understanding of grace is at the heart of your book, and it, it, it definitely weaves through from the first page to the last page as a golden thread of sorts. Why is it important to know precisely what is meant by the term grace when we consider spiritual growth and maturity?
1: Well, it's such a foundational concept for our understanding of the Christian life. If if we don't understand the nature of our salvation as gracious, then we really haven't understood the first thing about the Christian faith. Um, we, we might We might use Christian terminology, but if we don't understand that the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God in Christ is at the heart of it all— then then we can't possibly understand what the christian life is our our lives as creatures but but even our especially our lives as christians are, are are monuments to the grace of god from from beginning to end what what do you have that you have not received paul says and every good and perfect gift comes from above and so understanding grace is foundational to understanding even what what christianity is all about
0: now when we're talking about grace and how we encounter grace in our lives we must necessarily speak about mediation Um, god works through a mediator and that mediator is the lord jesus christ i've already mentioned uh, a little bit ago that christ mediates grace to us in his offices as prophet priest, and king. But one question that that should always uh, arise whenever we discuss this, and you treat it in the book, is how Christ accomplished this mediation in those three offices during his earthly ministry, and whether or not that mediation is any different today. Can you you open that up for us a little bit?
1: Yeah, I'd want to do that by looking at each of those offices, prophet, priest, and king. So in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord speaks through Moses' and promises a prophet like Moses that would be raised up from among his people. And what uh, the Lord says at that time in Deuteronomy 18 is the people need to listen to him. He's going to reveal, he's going to speak my words. If we fast forward to the New Testament, the early apostles recognized that the prophet like Moses had arisen, and and they, in fact, indict the Jewish leaders at the time in Jerusalem by saying that prophet promised by Moses arose, and rather than listening to him, you actually executed him, you crucified him, you put him to death. So the way in which Jesus operated as the prophet like Moses, the great prophet, was by speaking and revealing God to us, um, revealing Him in His actions, in His uh, miraculous works, in His life, and also revealing Him in His words. But the way um, the writer to Hebrews puts it is in, in the former days, God spoke through His prophets in many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. And so the the prophetic ministry of Christ, in that sense, from the writer to Hebrews perspective, has has been accomplished. Um, now the Lord continues to speak to us through His Word, and and it's no accident that when the apostles refer to the the gospel and refer even to the what we would consider the New Testament, they they talk about it as the Word of Christ. And so the way in which that office is mediated to us now is through the Word of God, through the Scriptures. Uh, but, but in reading the Scriptures, we understand them to be the Word of Christ. And, and in hearing um, the Scriptures preached, we are hearing uh, Christ uh, speak to us, as it were, uh, in, his, in his role as prophet. So there was a distinct way in which he arose as that prophet— uh, in In his earthly ministry, and, and then that prophetic ministry is, as it were ongoing not that we 're receiving additional prophecy now, but that in receiving the Word of christ we are we are hearing from him uh, with respect to his priestly ministry again, um, there are these uh, types that we get of the priest and of the high priest, in particular in the Old Testament in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews again is very instructive for us because. The book of Hebrews tells us that Christ uh, has this ongoing ministry as our great high priest. And in that capacity, he intercedes for us and he is sympathetic to us, to our weaknesses. But also, the, the writer to Hebrews makes it clear that he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice in his priestly ministry. So that facet of his priestly ministry was accomplished on the cross when he offered himself as the, the perfect and spotless uh, Lamb of God. But his priestly ministry now is mediated to us in that he is interceding for us, and we go to God in our worship and in our prayers through Jesus Christ. That's why at the end of most of our prayers, we we will say, in Jesus' name, And, and that's a way of recognizing that we're coming on the basis of his ongoing priestly work for us. With respect to his kingly rule. Again, there are ways in which this was expressed and exposed in in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, of course, promised in the Old Testament that there would be a king who would uh, be seated on the throne of David forever, 2 Samuel 7. And the way we see uh, the Lord Jesus exercising that now is in his heavenly rule through the church. And he is accomplishing uh, the work that he has to do and and one day he will come again visibly as a a king bringing justice to his enemies and bringing ultimate salvation to his people so that kingly ministry of christ was expressed in the incarnation is very clearly exercised now in in christ's reign from heaven and will be exercised visibly when he comes to defeat his enemies
0: from part 2 where you discuss Christ and his three offices and this mediation of grace into the individual believer and to the church as a whole you then move into in part 3 a discussion including uh, our understanding of the sacraments which is which are entrusted to the church why is our understanding of the church and the sacraments entrusted to the church so important for a discussion about growth in grace
1: well these are the these are the the signs and seals that Christ has given to his church. And so as you as you mentioned earlier Zach, I don't know if you put it exactly this way, but you talked about how God ordains the ends, but God also ordains the means to those ends. And God uses means in our in our lives and in our spiritual lives. And the one of the means that God has given us of growing in our knowledge of him and and living in communion with him is are are these are these sacraments are these signs and seals and so to ignore those things really would be to ignore something that Jesus Christ gave to his church for this very purpose which is that his people might might grow in grace that their their faith might increase and that they they might have communion uh with him and be reminded of his of his promises. So I looked at that more broadly with respect to the church and just the significance of the church, uh, and the significance of gathering together, uh, with a, a a visible body of believers. And also I looked at it in terms of these, these signs and seals that Christ has given to his church that we might, that we might grow in grace. These are these are what we call the ordinary means of grace, uh, prayer and preaching and and the the sacraments. These are ordinary things that God gives that we might that we might continue to grow. And I don't
0: want to get bogged down, but when we consider what happens if we get these wrong, then these means of grace actually become instruments of condemnation and cursing and Calvin I think makes that point in the institutes uh, particularly regarding the lord's supper and how it's administered and to whom it's administered and so it really is important that we understand these things and follow Christ as he intended for us to follow him of course while maintaining a catholic spirit and not abominating our our brothers in the church who do take different views on these things, it's good to be in submission to Scripture regarding them.
1: Yeah, all of these things have to be governed by the Word of God, and and they are an outworking of the ministry of the Word of God. And so, uh, you're right; it, it, it's uh, how how we understand them, how we practice them. It, it's not incidental because we have instructions, as it were, from from Jesus Himself about their practice and, and the significance of their practice. And so we need to be listening to him and in, in his word and what he instructs us. You
0: know, I want to go down to a fundamental point here. Uh, growth in any context is demanding. It can be very difficult. If we want to build up our muscles or physical strength, we need to engage in strenuous and disciplined physical activity. If we want to expand our vocal range, we must perform singing drills and increasingly difficult pieces of music. Certainly, our students here at Greenville Seminary need to study hard as they seek to grow their theological aptitude and understanding of God's Word. But one of the central liberating doctrines of Scripture about God's grace is that it is a free gift. It cannot be earned or deserved by anything that we do. You stated that so clearly and beautifully just a few minutes ago. So when we think about the Christian life, how can we reconcile these two things, The burden or pressure of personal growth, and the injunctions to grow in grace, uh, and the fact that grace is a free
1: gift from God's hand. How do we bring these two things together? I think this is something that Christians often struggle with. Ultimately, the Bible teaches us ultimately all real, genuine spiritual growth comes as a result of God's grace. That's true, again, not just in the spiritual realm, but we could even extend that to our physical lives. Any growth that we have, even our life itself, is a gift from God. Paul says, in Him we live and move and have our being. So the fact that we're taking a breath, the fact that we're growing physically, these are, in a very real sense, gifts of God's kindness to us um, as His creatures. When it comes to the spiritual life, that's, that's certainly the case. Any growth comes as a result of God's grace. God deserves our thanks for all of it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. But again, the God who ordains the end also ordains the means. And just as uh, we, we wouldn't say that the fact that we need to eat means that therefore God's no longer responsible for our growth or our life, we, we recognize that, no, God is responsible for our growth and our life. He does deserve the thanks for it. But we also eat food and take in nourishment, and that's how we grow. And similarly, in the spiritual life, the Lord's given us very kindly instructions and commands for how to grow spiritually. And it's only by, in a sense, those means that the the end is accomplished. And so it's it's not really in conflict at all to say that there are commands that were given that we must obey there are practices that we have to engage in in order to grow and yet to also say that it it's all of of god's grace but you know it's one of the reasons why we even call these things in the church the ordinary means of grace it, it of course there there could be a theoretical possibility that god will cause you to get stronger or, or, or better at a, in a certain sport without any effort. But, but that's not how, you know, ordinarily it does not work that way. That's not, that's, we wouldn't expect that. We would, we would never anticipate that. And in fact, if someone said, you know, I really want to get better at this instrument without any practice, we'd say, well, you know what, that's, that's futile. That's not how it works. And, and again, in the Christian life, it's the same thing. Uh, it's all of God's grace, but but he tells us what it is that we're supposed to do and what it is that we're supposed to engage in and how we're supposed to think in order to grow in these ways. You know, being Philadelphia
0: sports fans, I have to make this reference because you just said the word. At the end of the day, when we're thinking about growth and grace, we're talking about practice. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, who is going to get that reference (laughs) on this podcast? Yes. Uh, (laughs) You know, that's, but it's, but that's right. And and that is how we, um, that is how we grow. We grow through these practices. We grow through engaging in the things that the Lord tells us to engage in. And yet, and yet we're quick to say any growth is, is as a result of, of the grace of God.
0: This was my review of the book just very briefly that I posted on Goodreads after I finished reading it. This is a clear and thoughtful treatment of an important theme of faith and practice, what it means to, quote, grow in grace. Master explores the theme of Christian growth and maturity by considering Christ and what it means for believers to be Christ-like. Along the way, Master ably presents Christ in his offices of prophet, priest, and king, keeps scripture at the center of the discussion, exhorts his readers to recognize the indignity indispensability of the church in the life of a, of the believer briefly explains the sacraments and situates suffering and hope as important instruments in the christian life we didn't really talk about that last point but that was one of the most beneficial chapters to me as i was reading the book this is a great book both as an introduction to beginners and as a reminder to longtime believers obviously i give it a ringing endorsement and i encourage our listeners to pick it up if you're a prospective student and you have not received this book from the seminary, contact our admissions office, and we'd love to just catch up with you a little bit and then send you a complimentary copy of this book. If you're not a prospective student, I'm sorry, I'm not giving away copies to everybody, but it is available at gpts.edu slash shop, and we have plenty of copies in stock. It will also be available at the upcoming Greenville Conference on Reformed Theology, Uh, for which we are supplying the bookstore. And Dr. Master is one of the speakers at the conference, along with Dr. Richard D. Phillips of Second Presbyterian Church, where the conference will be held, and Reformed Theological Seminary Charlotte professor Blair Smith. And so we recommend that you check out the conference titled Children of the Heavenly Father to be held on October 8th through 10th, 2021. Again, the speakers are Dr. Rick Phillips, Dr. Jonathan Master, and Dr. D. Blair Smith and it will be at Second Presbyterian Church. Registration uh, is required, though there is no cover charge. And to register, go to spcgreenville.org GCRT, standing for Greenville Conference on Reformed Theology. Dr. Master, I always uh, like to close uh, just with a couple easy, easy questions. Are you working on anything else, and do you have any closing remarks you'd like to make?
1: Yeah, well, as I got to the end of the book, uh, I had to write the introduction because it's the last thing you do. And one of the things that struck me, and it really struck me throughout every chapter, was in no way is, is my own life uh, a, an example of a steady and unbroken application of these teachings or these truths. So I, I very much needed these reminders and need these reminders myself. And yet I will will also say that it's been really gratifying to hear from people humbling, to hear from people who have been helped by these reminders. And I hope they're they're helpful for any of our listeners um, who are joining us today.
0: And are you working on any other projects right now?
1: Yeah, so I am. I'm I'm working on two books that would be comparable to this one in terms of size and scope and kind of the the, the intended audience. Uh it's not those details aren't finalized yet with the with the publishers so I can't say too much more but but I'm already beginning to work on um on writing them. So those are those are in the works. I have a couple other things on the horizon on the farther term horizon, but those are the things that are on my desk right now. Great. Well
0: that's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing those new projects come to fruition now that uh, I've, I've read a book by you and I have a feel for the usefulness of your writing and uh, clarity with which you express sometimes difficult topics. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks a lot, Zach. Thank you for listening to this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. To help ensure that we can continue to produce content from a Reformed and Confessional Presbyterian perspective, please consider making a gift of support in any amount at gpts.edu. donate For more information about Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, please visit gpts.edu.